0: Hey everybody, this is Xiao. This is yet another Salesforce web podcast episode. Today I'm sitting with a guest. His name is Adam nonshansky. Hello, Adam.
1: Hey, She, How's it going? Pleasure to be here. Yeah,
0: glad to have you on the show. Would you mind to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so my name is Adam Olshansky. I'm a Salesforce developer at Google. I uh, have 14 certifications a Salesforce MVP. Um, and I love talking about code and Salesforce development.
0: Yeah, it's really great to have you. I understand you had a, a session in the Apex Hours. For the listeners who haven't watched that, it's a, a video screencasting sessions, right? Over there, you're talking about how to write a trigger framework or how to use those famous trigger frameworks, and from the simpler ones to more sophisticated trigger frameworks.
1: Yeah, so I... I- I was able to present at Apex Hours this past year um, there's a YouTube video about it, just going through a couple of different options for trigger frameworks. We walked through the code, pros and cons of each, and, and how trigger frameworks uh, can help you uh, become a better developer and control your code.
0: Mm. But over there, because it's a screencasting, so you have go into a lot of details into the coding part, right? You showed those codes, what does it mean, how you write this code, and what are the patterns behind those trigger frameworks.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we are able to walk through the code, um, see some code on screen, demo it, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, was kind of nice to see, but a uh, little bit different uh, medium today.
0: Yeah. So I will put the link to that session, to our show notes, so for our listeners to check. But here today, I want you uh, to be on the show. It's mainly to talk about uh, like the why and how things around the trigger uh, topic. You know, as a Salesforce developer, trigger context is definitely one of the most important things we need to know, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. A lot of things are kind of beyond the expectation. When I was joining Salesforce, I know the trigger framework, but I didn't know it was so like a rabbit hole. You can dig into that and get a lot of surprises out of that.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's very easy to to get lost uh, going down in there, and and uh, there's no one right answer. It's the other thing. A lot of different ways to do it, um, depending on your your use cases.
0: When I was a junior developer, so I started to use the you know some coding around the trigger context, but uh, I didn't know it was that complex. There are a lot of things I need to take into consideration, especially at the beginning of the everything so (laughs) so that's why i wanted to talk to you about this topic here
1: yeah it's definitely a lot to take in especially when you're just starting out Um, and especially if you kind of start looking at an existing built out trigger framework and and don't know how all the pieces fit together Um, a lot of different nuance and and differences within frameworks across companies
0: let's start from some basic things so In Salesforce, we have the trigger context, but uh, it's still optional for us to use any existing uh, trigger frameworks. So, why do we need to think about the trigger frameworks?
1: Sure. So, if we think back to like triggers in general, right, um, you know, very basic principles, we don't want to put uh, trigger logic in the trigger itself. So, we might use a trigger handler. You know, if one of the other principles of code is not wanting to have to repeat ourselves, right? And so if we have all of our triggers with, you know, check for if before insert, go to the before insert handler. If after insert, go to the after insert handler. We have to do essentially the same code in every single trigger, and there's a lot of repetitiveness. And so the nice thing about a framework is it kind of gives us the option to handle the routing for us. So we just have to code it once. And the framework handles it the rest of the time. Our triggers can all be one line long. Just call it the trigger framework. The trigger framework can figure out the context, can figure out what object we're using, and can figure out what class we need to route to uh, to continue our, our execution.
0: Because hmm. I understand in your videos, you have mentioned multiple trigger frameworks. So as uh, people who start to learn about these things, so which ones should I really choose from? Is there any, like, a guidance on this?
1: Sure. Um, so I start off talking about uh, kind of three different frameworks in the video. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one kind of uses a, a virtual, or a class with a bunch of virtual methods. So it lets you pick and choose what you want to override in your handler. It has a single uh, run method that'll take the context and route you to the right location. And then in your individual handlers, like, uh, you know, a lead trigger handler, for example, you can choose to implement handle before insert, handle after insert, things like that. Uh, Another one might be uh, an interface that, again, will predefine all the before insert, after insert, things like that. And then you'll have a trigger handler um, and a trigger dispatcher that'll route to the trigger handler, inherit from the interface And then you need to implement all the methods, but again, you can rest assured that every handler is going to look the same. And then the other approach I talk about is more of a full-blown object-oriented architecture where you have a trigger factory that constructs a dispatcher, that constructs a base class, and then you have each handler as an individual file. So you'll have an account before insert trigger handler, account after insert trigger handler. And that'll then inherit from another base class, which takes from a trigger handler, and you get kind of a combination uh, virtual interface approach, which may be too much for, for some of the more basic use cases, um, but if you have a very complex org, it can be very helpful to kind of get a handle on all that. And again, you just have to implement it once, and then it works the same for everything the mm. rest of the time.
0: The, the last one you just mentioned, this full-blown object-oriented design just for the trigger frameworks, it sounds really sophisticated, and it will take some time for us to digest that, right? Why do we use this, and 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 what's what's the benefit of using that out of this framework? So usually, uh, argument coming out from the people around me is that uh, why should I do that? Why should I spend a lot of time to learn this? And uh, there there are some simpler. Trigger frameworks, like the first the two ones you just mentioned, maybe it has just a virtual class or like an interface right you can inherit it from that, and then that's almost everything from the frameworks
1: yeah, so a, a couple of reasons, one of them I'd say more complex use cases it can be helpful because when you are getting you know farther and farther along in your org and adding more and more code, uh you know your handler. If you just have a single handler, which is what the other frameworks generally rely on, it can get pretty robust, right? You might have 100 lines just for before insert. You might have another 100 lines for after insert. Before you know it, you have a 500,000-line class just getting a little unwieldy. So the more object-oriented architecture focuses on each event is, for each object is going to have its own class, number one. Uh, number two is, is, like I also mentioned, it kind of combines the virtual and interface approach where... You know, in one case, you can uh, inherit from an interface. You're going to have the capability uh, to call whichever class you want, but at the same time, you'll have the virtual approach where you can pick and choose um, how you want to use it. And so it, it allows for more, for nuance and more customization, um, and, and kind of the same thing with Salesforce, right? The, the fewer customization options there are, the easier it is to use, but the more limited you are and what can you can do with it with this object-oriented architecture it's complex to use but there's a ton of customization and so if you have a really complex use case you can tweak it accordingly to make it fit your exact needs
0: okay so there's no a silver bullet answer here you just need to according to your situation and your skill level and the context to decide which one to start with
1: yeah and and as with most things with salesforce right there's multiple ways to to do the same thing um I remember the first time I started using it, I came into an org with a full-blown trigger framework. And I remember it took me like <laughs> 10 different tries or 10 different steps to figure out where the code actually was that I wanted to debug. Yeah. Um, so it can it definitely be very hard to wrap your head around. Uh, it's still a little hard for me to wrap my head around sometimes. Um, but sometimes that's, that's the right decision um, if you do have some very
0: complex use cases. Mm. So Adam, I understand you are currently working in Google, right? So I would assume mm-hmm. that you are working for an internal org and internal product. So it might be easier for your team to decide, for like one trigger framework for all the teammates to to use. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that's that's uh, I think two things on that topic. One, yeah, it is easier when you're working on a single org and you can decide as a team. The other thing is, you have to make sure there's kind of full buy in from the team because it kind of defeats the purpose of the framework because one object is using it and another object isn't. Um, and I've seen that before also, where, okay, opportunities use the framework and then leads are kind of doing their own thing. So uh, <laughs> that, that kind of defeats the purpose. You go through this whole trouble of setting up this robust framework and then it's only getting used by one object. So ah, that's um,
0: true. Okay.
1: Yeah, definitely something to, to keep an eye on.
0: So once the decision is made, then everybody should follow that strictly on all the objects, right?
1: Yeah, agreed. And and that's why sometimes it's it's easier, if, a little easier, if you're a a consultant or or you're starting out with a new org to kind of implement it at the beginning. It's much harder to take an org that's been around for months or years and say, hey, we're gonna refactor everything and and shove it into a framework.
0: Yeah, actually, I am working a consulting firm. And uh, to make everybody agree upon one or handful trigger framework, it's a really challenging task here. So people definitely have different opinions, even after studying for hours and to have a conversation for hours. Still, <laughs> we we can't come up with the idea on which trigger framework to use. And finally, we just decided, okay, so maybe trigger framework is important. But still more important for people to understand why to use that and what kind of patterns are adapted in the trigger framework so that um, even if you don't use any trigger framework for a simple work solution, still the code is uh, manageable. It's still scalable, in a sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. and And I think in some cases, a trigger framework is the wrong option. If you do have some very basic use cases... And your trigger framework ends up being more code than the actual trigger logic itself. It may not necessarily make sense to to have it you know go to five different files, ten different files for a ten line block of code right
0: yeah but it's it's just so difficult to make the shift later on, especially in the real life um there could be different teams working on the solutions and then when to make the shift that's really a question and a lot of time people just tend to follow the old design right if things are not broken then why should you make the shift and then the technical debt piled up and then <laughs> one day you really wonder is it even feasible to make the shift now? in the work
1: yeah that's a fair question it's it's always a hard discussion to say hey i'm going to stop working on new features and clean up the code, you're not going to notice a difference, but I promise you I'm doing good work <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah it, it's definitely uh it's harder to do uh to down the road for sure
0: yeah mm. so I have some questions around the trigger those are like uh, typical uh challenges or problems um and I wonder if any trigger framework can really solve those problems so for example um We have the declarative tools, right? We have the process builder, we have the workflows. So sometimes those uh, declarative tools will make the recursion in the trigger context, right? Everything's around at the end, and then the declarative tools will update another field. Then the trigger context go back to the beginning. So recursion is happening. I wonder if the trigger frameworks are able to uh, handle these kind of situations,
1: yeah, definitely. So one of the, the other nice things about frameworks um, in general, you build something once and you can use it for everything. So with the trigger frameworks I talked about in, in Apex hours even, there are some different options. Um, one of them in kind of the, the main trigger factory or trigger dispatcher class, you can build in some bypass capabilities um, so that you can use along with each trigger. There's another approach I talk about where you have custom settings or custom metadata where you can just toggle an entire part of the framework on or off. So maybe you want to turn it off for the contact object or loading a bunch of contacts, uh, things like that. And then also recursion checks. So we have static variables that say, hey, has this code run already for this transaction? Or even you can go one step further and say, the first time this code runs for this transaction, I want you to do this stuff. The second time this code runs for this transaction, I want you to do a whole different set of stuff. And so you can route it accordingly there. Um, within the context of the framework,
0: okay a lot of the time we don't have a trigger framework, so it 's really difficult for us to handle this kind of situation and those declarative tools they are you know most of the time they are implemented by admins, so it can come any anytime, and then when the recursion happens, then you just kind of passively to look into the code and then you realize, okay, it come back again for, for these reasons.
1: Especially with how, how powerful the, the declarative tools are becoming, I, I know flows are, are becoming a big factor as well. Um, it's definitely important to make sure that the code and the declarative tools are working very well together.
0: And uh, I still think that uh, the communications between developers and admins should be smooth and uh, seamless here, right? Exactly, yeah. One side, it would definitely break the things on the other side. And uh, if we communicate and talk with each other, when we make changes, then probably it's better than the passive ways that we're doing.
1: Yeah, frameworks aren't going to solve a communication problem for sure. So that's, that's going to be probably the most important thing that the declarative and the non-declarative um, sides of the platform are, are communicating well and, and the people implementing the, both sides of the platform are, are on the same page too.
0: Okay. Another challenge that uh, I usually see in my working experience is that uh, when the code ends, uh, for example, account trigger context, and then at some point we update a related uh, contact, which will go into the contact trigger context. So it's kind of like not in an isolated way, The things are are tangled one with another. So how would the trigger framework be able to really tackle these kind of problems?
1: Sure. So I'd I'd say probably there are a couple different approaches. Number one is you could have uh, something in the, for example, in your example, I think it was lead. Uh, You know, lead is the one that started things off. When we're updating creating contacts, before we do that, we can just shut off the contact framework altogether and say, hey, I'm creating contacts as part of the lead framework, but I don't want any of my contact code to run. Uh, alternatively, we can implement the framework in a way that says that the contact framework will know, hey, yes, I'm running, but the lead trigger is what called me. And so I want to you know, run a separate block of code than if the contact was kind of the primary object and was the initiator. Um, so there's a couple different ways to handle that, again, depending on our our use cases.
0: Okay. And not all the trigger framework have these features out of the box.
1: I mean, yes and no, right? I, I think the examples I walked through, um, no. But one of the mm-hmm. things I talk about also is you can always mix and match. So if you like something from one framework, steal it and put it in your framework. Um, so you can. there is no kind of, set definition for a framework, it's more kind of approach based, and you can kind of pick and choose, okay, I want to use an interface, I want to use virtual classes, I want to have a bypass, I want to take from custom settings, I want to toggle it on and off, I want to have a recursion Mm. check. So kind of, again, what works best for you, um, kind of put it all together and and implement a framework that'll meet your needs.
0: Hmm. Does that mean that uh, if I really want to learn this topic, well, I should implement my own trigger framework?
1: I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't know if I'd recommend reinventing the wheel necessarily, but uh, it's definitely a good way to learn, if not necessarily uh, a good in uh, in in the working world. But uh, definitely a good way to learn, and and I'm sure uh, whatever framework you end up coming up with on your own could potentially be useful um, in projects that you work on down the road.
0: Mm. You know, one of the most famous uh, customized trigger frameworks in my company. It's just as you mentioned, it's like picking up the different features from the multiple trigger frameworks and then combine them into one. And uh, nowadays, I think after the custom metadata types is um, live, I think a lot of trigger framework are moving to that direction as well, using the custom metadata types to control a lot of things dynamically. Um so, so it's like all the new features, we try to use it into the framework and see how it works.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a huge fan and proponent of, of custom metadata types. So I'm, uh, I'm definitely all for implementing those and, and integrating those with your triggers. And um, it makes it very easy if you just want to shut a framework off for a few minutes. Um, or if an admin's doing a data load and wants to shut the framework off for a few minutes, uh, custom metadata and custom settings make it very easy to do that.
0: Okay. Mm. So in the past, we had the, a topic about the my triggers. It heavily uses the custom metadata data types, which uh, is okay. It's quite uh, interesting. The thing is that when I look into the code, it's open-source uh, framework. So looking at the code, it's quite a generic. I think it takes a lot of time for me to understand what's going on. So I would assume for other junior developers it also uh it's kind of difficult. You know, it's more generic, uh, using the S object ways to cast here and cast there. So it's not the typical static code as like uh, enterprise developers would use. So just one caveat about that.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's probably a general um thing as well. The more generic it is, the more customization and the more Diverse ways you can potentially use it, mm-hmm. but also the harder it is potentially to understand. Also, so you get the kind of the have to weigh the pros and cons. But but agree for junior developers and sometimes even myself, it can be uh, hard to walk through um, the first time around. It takes a couple passes, and a diagram can definitely help figure out all right what's really happening here, where is the code going when my lead gets updated, and how does it end up going from here to there to there to there all the way to there. Mm. Um, so yeah,
0: yeah. Good to know that uh, you also spend a lot of time to learn triggers and learn trigger frameworks. I think you get a lot of benefit and uh, learning experience out of that, right? Yeah. But um, for the juniors like me, um, or even like really new to the Salesforce, do you think it's important for them to pick up the trigger frameworks early? Or should they just focus on some, like, patterns? So, like, some important patterns, which is... I don't know, which which way do you think they should go to?
1: Um, I would probably say always building um, up to things is is probably the better approach. So, depending on where you are kind of in your, your journey starting off, understanding, all right, what is a trigger, right? Why do I only want one trigger per object? Why do I maybe... Not want to put my logic in the trigger, or put it in the handler. Why am I writing the same code in all of my triggers? Why am I writing similar code in all of my handlers? Is there a way I can abstract that out and so kind of build up to it? Uh, maybe start with a more basic framework, understand how that works, and and work your way up to a more complex one. But again, it also depends on you know who is your customer, who is your client. Are you working with? a very basic uh, org that doesn't need too much customization? Are you working with a full blown org that's been around 10 years and has a ton of code and a bunch of triggers per object and I really need something to corral it all? Um, so it, it kind of depends. I, I definitely wouldn't recommend just deep diving into frameworks. Um, but at the same time, uh, it does kind of really depend on, on what your customers' needs are.
0: So my experience is that really look into some of the famous ones to see the differences and then try to understand why they're picking the different routes and what the benefit pros and cons. Because um, the thing is that uh, as a developer, the time is limited. So you are working on a couple of projects. You can't uh, meet all the different situations or the things that are used in the trigger framework. But uh, by learning those famous frameworks, you start to, you know, standing on their Uh, shoulder, you understand, okay, these things might happen in the future, and are important, so I I should learn it.
1: Yeah, I agree. And and even if you don't understand exactly what they're doing, understanding that they exist, what their capabilities are, knowing that they're out there, and at some point down the road, you may encounter a situation where, hey, this is what I need to do, maybe a framework, um, this framework or that framework could be helpful to me and kind of take a really deep dive um, when the use case comes up. But but definitely understanding the capabilities, I think, is almost, if not more important than understanding the code itself. Because if you implement the wrong one, um, then it may not be as helpful to you, even if you understand it very well.
0: Excellent. Thanks, Adam. I think uh, that's all I want to ask you. Thanks for your time. And uh, I still recommend our listeners to, to watch the videos, because there you talked a lot about the famous trigger framework under the code.
1: Oh, yeah, and I have uh, examples to go there, too. All right, thank you so much, Chief, for having me. Yeah, thanks. i a talk to you next time. Bye-bye.